Thanks. I love that you, when you do this slow clap, you can hear like the mic. It makes it so much better. Like that. Dude, so good. Sweet. I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Uh, I'm kicking off a new series for Challenge, and I'm excited about that too. If you see the picture in your handout, it says a word. It says relate. And that is something we all have to do. Our relationships with other people are really important. So when Jesus was asked, you know, what's the most important thing in life? Like someone asked him, like, what, you know, what's, what's like the most important law? Jesus said, the most important things in life are loving God and loving people. And for our last series, we've been talking about a lot of different ways that we relate to God. This, for this series, we're going to talk about different ways we relate to people. So uh, these values that we hold as a ministry called the heart attitudes are something that we really, we value, some of our core values, and we want to really use them in the way we relate, we relate with each other. So I'm talking about one of the heart attitudes, and over the next three weeks as well, we're going to be talking about one of these. The one I'm talking about with you it, about is giving and receiving scriptural correction. So this is something that I've experienced, uh, mostly receiving correction, and I just want to share with you guys some helpful things, hopefully really practical things, uh, because I think the, it's really clear what the Bible says about this. We're going to get into that, but first, let's pray. God, I just pray that tonight uh, you would be speaking through me, that your word is what would stick with people, um, and I just ask that you would, would help us to understand just what it means to give and receive correction, what that looks like in life, uh, and the different ways that it helps us. I just pray you'd help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want to start off with two stories. Okay, uh, the first one, I'm like four or five years old. Okay, my brother was like two or three. And uh, my great-grandparents had a house out in East Texas, near this tiny little town called Junction. They were a few miles out. And they had a, like a great spot. It was, they had several acres of property. Their house backed up to like this wooded area that ended in a river. It was like a child's dream for like playing in there and stuff. We would see deer almost every day, like other random forest animals. Uh, they had a feeder like right outside of the, for the, the forest line, so it would go off every morning. You could watch the deer come eat. It was really cool. One time while we were there, you know, it was our normal thing. We were, like, me and my brother would just go out early in the morning. We'd run around. We'd just do stuff. I don't know how we are alive based on the, how little supervision we had at those points, but it, it was awesome. And uh, one time, my brother was, we were both just going out of the garage. That was where, that's where we left the house from, was the garage. And I had two doors. There was a solid door you couldn't see through, like the front door of your house, and a screen door, which maybe some of you have, I don't know. Um, my brother, I'm, I'm telling you from my brother's perspective first, and then from mine. Okay, my brother, two or three years old, he opens the solid door, and then he hears his big brother say, stop, grab his shirt, and yank him back. Not very kind, right? Now I'm going to tell you my perspective. <laughs> he opens this, the solid door, and I see a at least cat-sized animal. I don't, you know, I couldn't really tell with teeth. I remember teeth. Like I don't remember much from that age of my life, but like I remember the teeth. And I was like, "That's not good." So I just like, "Get out, get out of there! Don't open that door!" And I slammed the solid door. Uh, and I went and told the adults, like, "Hey, I don't know what's going on, but like I just saw something with with teeth out there." So my great grandpa. He went out, and he shot the rabid raccoon that was chilling in their garage. <laughs> um, that's two really different perspectives, right, on the same situation. Um, was it the best thing to do to pull my brother back? He didn't think so for about two seconds. But as soon as he saw what was on the other side, like, he understood, oh, like, that was a good thing, even at that age. And this situation is, is a good uh, picture, I think, of how correction is supposed to work. 
and how we often see it instead. Right? My brother was upset. Like, he was upset that I pulled him back. Uh, but I was trying to help him avoid danger and pain. My goal wasn't to get him to follow a preference that I had. It was to help him avoid danger. And I said I would tell you two stories. So here's the second one. Uh, I, in high school, got a job working at a call center. And we would take calls, answer people's questions. You know, that was what I was paid there to do. And I would work the night shift a lot. I was in, you know, school. So I was there for the night shift. It was till 11 p.m. There's only one other person in the office, usually. And my routine, like, to pass the time, I would just, it's like, it was slow. We didn't get a lot of calls at, from, like, 9 to 11 p.m., you know? And so I would, like, mostly just play games on my phone. Right? I would sit at my little desk and play, like, Bloons Tower Defense. Anybody? Yeah, I, I thought there might be some. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and one night I was on a shift with this guy named Jeff from my church. And I was in my usual routine. He walked by to like get some water or something, and then he walked back, and he kind of like, hey, Josh, what are you doing over there? I was like, oh, I'm playing games on my phone. He's like, oh, do you think that's a good idea? Like, do you think your employer would want you to do that? And I'm like, well, it's slow, so like, I don't think it's a problem. You know, it's no big deal. And then he told me straight up, you're just like, man, that's kind of like, our employer is paying you to be here to work. Like, playing games like while you're supposed to be working is kind of dishonest and dishonoring to them. It's kind of like you're stealing from them a little bit. And I was like, ooh, like that, that did not feel good hearing that in the moment. Uh, but I, I had just asked him, like, okay, like, you know, what else do you think I could be doing? I was kind of defensive about it. I was like, well, what else could I do? You know, but uh, I asked the question, what else do you think I could be doing? And he gave me some things, like reading books to improve some skills, uh, working on some different things that were just kind of always on, on go. And uh, it really helped me to see, like, oh, the way I was viewing work I was just trying to like do the minimum, the bare minimum to get by, uh, which is really not a helpful way to think of work. We're supposed to honor God in the way we work. So what I want you to understand is that the two stories I just told you are basically the same story. Okay, one person is unaware of danger and pain that's going to be coming to them later, and someone else loves them enough to warn them and take action to help them out of that danger. And the danger of being lazy and apathetic about work is really not as immediate as a rabid raccoon, right? <laughs> it's not. But it is just as real. Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. I mean, that's a pretty... I don't want to crave and get nothing in my life. I'm glad that he was <laughs> willing to say, like, Hey, quit being lazy, dude. Like, that, that actually helped me a lot. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say on this topic of correction. So to kind of start into our, our body here, I'm, I'm going to give you just a bunch of different verses from Proverbs that I think really give a, a good picture of why we should try and do this, give and receive correction. So I'm just going to read these. We're going to blast through like a third of your handout in two minutes. It's going to be awesome. First of all, we got Proverbs 27.6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Proverbs 27.12. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. That's like uncomfortably direct, right? <laughs> uh, he who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. 
Instruct a wise man, he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. These all give us a, a really good picture of like, man, it's a good thing to take in correction well. It's a good thing to be corrected and to learn from that. And I want to be clear, the Bible is not talking here about you know, how much cream you put in your coffee in the morning. Right? It's not talking about whether you like pineapple on pizza or anything like that. What it's talking about are heart issues, moral issues, and none of the things I just said are moral issues. I promise, okay? <laughs> it's about moral issues in our hearts that cause us to act in ways that don't line up with God's way. Okay, so this is about moral issues in our hearts. And to use an example that I gave earlier, um, the way that I saw work was not in line with the way God sees work. And I, like, that led to me doing things that I should not have been doing. And someone corrected me in that. So this is, this is talking about moral issues, not preference issues. And there are two major sources of correction. One of them is scripture, and the other one is people. And this series, we're talking about relationships. So I'm going to talk to you about people. Like God will use the Bible to correct you, and he, you should be corrected by the Bible. But he'll also use other people to correct you. And you should be aware of that. So we're going to talk about uh, why it's important, and then different, uh, really just practical ways of, of going about these two things. So giving and receiving correction. Why is it important that we give and receive correction? Number one is that we care. That's your first blank. We care. And it's worth mentioning two of the other hard attitudes at this point. You're going to get to hear about them in future weeks, but they're relevant for tonight. The first one is put the goals and interests of others above your own. And the second one is live an honest, open life. Both of these impact how we deal with correction, right? If we don't care about people, then it doesn't matter what they do. We can let them, you know, go off the train tracks, like explode, doesn't matter. They just do whatever they want and we don't care. Uh, if we're not open and honest, no one's going to know us well enough to correct us on anything. And so both of those things are really important. We need to care about others enough to risk some awkwardness, maybe some rejection, uh, in order to help them, really. And Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And the picture here is, I like it a lot, because what does sharpening mean? It's like an edge on a blade. Uh, there's stuff getting, like, knocked off, you know? Like, something is causing some, some, like, reshaping of this edge. And that requires something else to be reshaping it, right? You don't sharpen something by swinging it around in the air. You have to have something else that's really, resh like, actively reshaping the edge, and the metaphor here is that as we're living openly and honestly with each other, we're giving correction, receiving correction where necessary, our lives get reshaped into something more effective, something better than they were before. So the first reason to give and receive correction is we care. The second one is we don't know everything. If you thought you did, I'm sorry. You, you don't. We don't know everything. And there's a concept that's pretty helpful in, in thinking about this. It's called the Johari window. You might have seen it in like a class. I don't know. But it's, I think it's just going to be up on the, yeah, I love it. It's a good old Punnett square. I'm sure you guys missed those. Uh, so this just tells us the different areas that we have in our life. There's the open area that's known to everyone, for us and other people. Uh, there's things that we don't know about ourselves, but everyone else does. There's things that uh, we know, but no one else does about us, the hidden area. And there's things that only God's ever going to know, the unknown. So our goal in like living openly and honestly should be to shrink that hidden area and that blind spot as much as possible. Because how do you get help with a blind spot? You have to have someone pointed out to you. you. You will not see it. That's the definition of a blind spot, right? So unless someone tells you, you're not going to see it. 
And with the hidden area, if we're not open and honest about like sin, about struggles, doubts, whatever it is, like no one's going to be able to help us with it. So we want to try and shrink that hidden area and that blind spot as much as possible by living openly and honestly. And if you have someone that you're meeting with every week, um, you should probably start there. Like they're, they're a great person to be like aware of what's going on in your life. If you don't, you can talk to me or one of the staff members uh, afterward. We'd be happy to, to start doing that with you. Um, so the second reason, again, is we don't know everything. Number three, we are a part of the body of Christ. So if you've committed your life to Christ, that means that you're a part of his body, the church. And when I say the church, like in this context, I'm, I'm not speaking about you know the place you attend on Sunday morning. I'm talking about the universal church made up of all Christians. And as a part of Christ's body, we have this call to be united, to be growing, full of love, mature, healthy. Like all, all these things are things the Bible calls us to as a body of the church, as a part of the body of Christ. And part of that, like growing spiritually, is being corrected. We, we need things pointed out in our lives, and then we need to change in response to that. So I'm going to talk about why and how we should give correction biblically. These are just some, some hopefully really practical ways that you can identify if you need to talk with someone. Uh, good reasons to give correction. You have a, a little table on your handout, and I'm just going to tell you some good and bad things, okay? There's one column labeled good. Write the good stuff under that, and the other one's labeled bad. I'll let you figure this out. So it's good to correct people motivated by love. It's good to correct people motivated by love. It is not good, it's bad to correct out of frustration. If someone's doing something, and you're just like, like I just want to really like tear into them, you know, make sure they never do that again. It's like, no, you need to take a minute. <laughs> you need to be motivated by love, not frustration. And then a good reason to correct someone is that God's word says something about what they're doing. If you can see in someone's life, like, oh, the Bible says you shouldn't do that, or oh, the Bible says you should do this, that's a good reason to correct someone. A bad reason to correct someone is personal preference or opinion. That's just, that's just not going to go well. If you can't point to something in God's word that supports what you're saying, you probably need to just not say it. So th those are some reasons why we should give correction. We, we want to love people. We want to actually help them. And we know that God's word says something about what's going on. And then how to give correction. Same deal. we got good and bad. So one is you need, uh, the first good thing is you need to be discerning. Discerning means you're able to read a situation well. You're able to look at something that's happening and understand it. And that takes some effort. You know, you, you might need to go deeper than the surface. So three, like, quick things I thought of on this. You can write these down if you want, but you don't have to. Uh, you need to be discerning in, discerning in who you correct, how you correct them, and when. You know, not everyone is a mature Christian. Not everyone is a non-believer. Like, you need to be aware of where this person is at in their walk with God. Um, you also need to be aware of how you correct them. You know, if someone is gossiping and they're, like, talking about someone behind their back, you can be like, hey, we're not going to do that, like, in this group. <laughs> you know, you can just do that in front of the group. If someone has, like, a deeper issue, you might want to talk to them personally. And then when you correct them. You know, maybe you have to, like, boom, immediate. Maybe you need to wait. But either way, you need to be discerning and not thoughtless or hasty. Those are the two bad to go with that. Just being thoughtless or hasty. You know, that kind of knee-jerk reaction, like, ah, don't do that. I'm seeing that a lot with my kids right now. Like, my youngest grabs a toy, and my oldest, who's three, is like, no, and just grabs it. That's like, she's just doing that out of, like, she's not thinking about it. She's not thinking, man, what would love my sister? She's just grabbing it. She's being hasty. 
Next, you want to clarify the situation. That's the good. Clarify the situation. Uh, usually, the best way to start talking about something is asking questions. The bad would be assume you know everything. You know, a situation happens, and you're like, oh, I know exactly what just happened. I need to go beat this person in the ground because they did this really badly. It's like, no, no, ask some questions. Figure out what's going on. Uh, the next one is expressing love. Like actually saying, I want to help you. I love you. You can't assume that. You can't assume that someone <laughs> knows that about you. You need to tell them. Versus speaking harshly. That's the, the bad. Speak harshly. And then next, we want to be clear. The good is be clear. In Acts 20.20, 20, the Apostle Paul says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And I think of that, and I'm like, man, I definitely have hesitated to preach some things that would be helpful to people. <laughs> like to tell people, hey, God's word actually says this. Or, hey, I saw, I saw this happen. Like, you know, I really just have to, to talk to you about that. Like, I've definitely been hesitant in things like that because it feels uncomfortable to risk a relationship, uh, to kind of have that, that just inner turmoil, you know. It feels uncomfortable to have that. But Paul says he doesn't hesitate. Anything that would be helpful, he preaches to them. Uh, the opposite would be confusing, being confusing. If you're dodging or avoiding the issue, they're not actually going to be helped at all. So over-communication is better than miscommunication. Next, you want to help them plan next steps. That's the last one in your little table here. Hopefully you have enough room. Ephesians, or sorry, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. So we want to help people plan next steps. We want to be a part of them uh, figuring out what to do next. And then the bad would be leave them alone. Just leave them alone. And these things, this, these uh, things we just talked about, are for you. They are not for you to look at someone else and say, man, you're not doing a good job of this. I'm not going to listen to you because you didn't correct me very well. Like, that's not the point. The point is you need to identify, okay, if I'm trying to do this with someone else, am I approaching this out of love? Can I look at this and see something God's word says? You want to look at this and, and judge your own motivations, not someone else's. Next, we're going to get into uh, just a really practical example. I'm going to talk about this now and later. Uh, just like an example of, of cursing, right? Like you hear someone uh, use some language that is pretty foul, and you're like, man, I, I think this person's a Christian. Like, what do I do? Uh, I'm going to give you just an example of something you might, might say. Uh, you know, let's say you know this person is a Christian. You know they're trying to follow God. And so you hear them, like, use some foul language in a conversation. And later you talk to them, and you're like, hey, you know, I heard you use some language in that, that last conversation that was kind of foul. Like, what do you think about that? Right? That's like clarifying the situation because you, you don't know what's going on. And they could answer any number of things, right? They could say something like, yeah, you know, it just kind of slips out sometimes. Uh, they could say, oh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm really trying to work on that. Thanks for telling me. Like, I needed to hear that. Uh, they might say, man, it's actually not that bad. Like, in the context in which I was using it, it, it was actually fine. Like, it didn't hurt anybody. And depending on their response, you know, you can move forward with them. But, well, yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. Ephesians 4.29, it actually says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, uh, but only what is helpful for building others up. Like, I know you care about obeying God, so I just want you to know that verse. I'm, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I just want you to know what God says. And that's enough. 
You know, that's like a good place to leave the conversation. Is it awkward? Definitely. <laughs> no one likes being called out in the moment, and it kind of creates some friction that wouldn't necessarily be there if you didn't do it. But if it results in them living a better life, if it results in them honoring God with their speech more, it's totally worth it. Like, that's worth, worth some uncomfortability. There's some different reasons we could avoid that. Uh, some that I've just done. I've, like, not talked to people because of things like this. Um, you know, I, I value the status quo of a relationship. I don't want things to change. And I think, man, if I correct them, like, things will change between us. I don't want that. Uh, I can think, like, I'm not really the best person to do that for them. Like, this other person would actually do a better job, so I should, I should probably hold off and let someone else do it. Uh, or probably the worst is, like, I just don't want to feel awkward, so I'm not going to do it. It's like, I care more about me being comfortable than this person obeying God. Yee. <laughs> it's not good. But this is why correction has to be motivated by love. right? If we love someone enough, we will take the risk. We'll risk being awkward and uncomfortable for the sake of their life going better. So now we're going to talk about uh, what it means to receive correction. So we've talked a lot about uh, why we should do this, how to give correction, but I think this is honestly the one that we struggle with more, the one that we're going to deal with more in our personal life, is just accepting and receiving correction well. Uh, this is not a passive thing. You know, we can think like, oh yeah, I received correction, like, thanks buddy, keep doing the same thing. No, like, this is actually accepting it, acting on it, like changing in response to it, right? That's what it means to be sharpened, is that something changes. And so, there's a process that I have in your handout. Uh, you can just go to this when you're corrected. When you have correction, you can pull this out if you want, or you can uh, memorize it. I don't know if I'll do that personally, but <laughs> have this in the back of your mind somewhere. Uh, the first thing we need to do is reject our natural inclination to be defensive. Uh, this is really hard. Have you ever gotten defensive when someone corrected something? Like anything? <laughs> You're just like, ah, actually, I'm right, though, because, you see, you didn't understand. Like, that's our natural tendency. It's just like, you, you think that I'm wrong, but actually, I'm right. And we need, we need to just reject that. There are some uh, really intense verses in the Bible about pride. James 4, 6 said God, uh, says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And my old pastor uh, in my home church, he would give this example of like, imagine you're in a boxing ring, okay? And you like got your gloves, you look ready. You go up and you look across the corner and it's God. Like that is the picture here of pride. Pride like pits us against God directly. You do not want that. Like you, you really don't want that. Uh, Proverbs twelve fifteen says, "A fool thinks their own way is right, but the wise listen to others." So we need to be, we need to reject being defensive. We need to choose humility and teachability, and be grateful that someone loved us enough to correct us. Uh, in first, in Second Samuel twelve, we see this example from King David. Um, I'm going to give you some background really quickly. You can read the story if you want. It's in Second Samuel, but basically, David does two really horrible things. All right, he, one, sleeps with some of the soldiers' wives while he's out for war, okay? David stays home from battle that he's supposed to be in, and this happens. And uh, second, so that's the first terrible thing. The second one, he tells his army's commander, once he gets her pregnant, and, like, someone's going to find out about this, he says, all right, here's what I want you to do, buddy. I want you to put that guy, her husband, in the front line, go up, like, really close, and then pull back and, like, leave him out there. I want him to die. And they do it, and he dies. It's like practically murder. It is murder, right? <laughs> David plains this. And uh, 2 Samuel 12 starts off with this prophet Nathan. He's like a messenger of God, and it says, God sent Nathan to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. 
Now, let's just think about that for a minute. Like, God tells you, hey, I need you to go, like, rebuke the king of Israel. You're like, he could, like, have me thrown out of my home. Yep. He could have me killed. <laughs> yep. I want you to go rebuke him. Okay. <laughs> you know, so he, uh, Nathan goes to David, and he tells him a story about sheep. And he's using it as a metaphor, right? He says, there's this guy with a bunch of sheep and a guy with one sheep. And the guy who's really rich and prosperous has a lot of blessing from God. Instead of using his own blessing, he actually takes from this other guy. And he, he uses the sheep uh, for, his, for himself. And King David's like, dude, that man should die. Like, I, I hate this guy. And the next thing Nathan says is, you are that man. Like, he did, he's, not, he's not like, there's nothing unclear here. He just goes straight to the point. He's like, oh, yeah, that's you. And listen to David's response. Like, Nathan says some other stuff, but after this, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. He doesn't try to justify or deny or cover up by killing a prophet his sin. <laughs> like, he doesn't do that. He just says, I've sinned before the Lord. And he accepts the consequences that God gives him for that. Nathan tells him what's going to happen. David accepts that. So we need to reject being defensive. We need to be humble and teachable. And then we need to clarify that it's biblical. Uh, in Acts, there's this group called the Bereans. They would study the Old Testament every time like Paul taught them. The Apostle Paul would come. He planted tons of churches at this point. The guy's like a super missionary. And they're checking what he says against the Bible, right? Because they care. They care that it lines up. And they're, it's like, yeah, you want to be like those guys. That's since we get in Acts. So we want to we check that it's biblical. If the Bible clearly addresses what's going on in your life, you need to acknowledge that. Don't try and cover it up. Don't try and hide it. Just say, you know what? Yeah, that's right. The Bible says that. I need to stop. And just because someone doesn't have like a verse that they're pointing to when they correct you, uh, that doesn't mean they're wrong. You need to follow up on what they're saying. Uh, you need to carefully listen to them and then kind of do your own study if you need to. Then we need to apply that correction in the current situation. So, for example, like in the gossip, right? Like if someone's gossiping, talking about someone else behind their back, and you get, you know, let's say it's you doing that, and someone says, hey, that's not helpful. That's not godly. You, you shouldn't gossip. Your response needs to be, you know what? You're right. Guys, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That was wrong. Like you need to immediately clear up any relationships that were hurt, acknowledge any wrong perspectives you have, and really just adjust what you're doing right then if you can. Like don't don't sleep on this, right? Proverbs 27, 12 says, the prudent see danger and take refuge. The simple keep going and pay the penalty. And I've heard the illustration of just like, you know, you see a sign that says like, bridge out. You're like, huh, well, I think I'm just going to keep going for a while. And it's like, bridge, 100 yards. You're like, no, I'm, I'm good. I think I'm just going to keep going. It's like, dude, how stupid do you have to be to not stop? Like, please, just stop the car, you know? And that's the picture we get in the Bible is, man, just, sometimes you just need to stop right then. And then fourth, we need to work to make doing the right thing in similar situations our default. Right? So there's an immediate application of correction where we say, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I'm going to change what I'm doing right now. And then there's a, this process over time of working to make that our default. And again, this is for you guys. This is for you. So as you receive correction, you can say, okay, here's what I need to do. I need to be humble. I need to be teachable. The Bible says something about it, so I got to do something right now. And then I need to keep going in the future to really keep going right. So again, we're going to go back to the example of cursing, right? Let's put our, ourselves in the shoes of the person getting corrected. Let's say, you know, you've committed to Christ. You're aware that cursing is probably bad. 
uh, you're trying not to do it, but sometimes you know old habits die hard, they just slip out. And someone comes to you and says, hey man, like I, I just heard you use some language that was kind of bad. You know, what do you, what do you think about that? And you say, yeah, like I'm trying to work on it. Like I don't really know what the Bible says, but I, I think it's bad. It's not right that I do that, so I'm, I'm trying, but it just slips out. And they say, yeah, cool, Ephesians 4.29 says this, awesome. Uh, how, do, how do you think about that when they come to you and say, hey, like I, I want you to know like this is wrong. Our thought process needs to be, okay, this person loves me. They're trying to help me out here. They're not, they're not trying to like, you know, discourage me or drag me down. They're trying to help me. Uh, even though I don't like it, I don't like attention being called to something I need to work on, I should be grateful for that. So verbally, we can say like, hey, you know, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I, I really want to do what God says, and I've, I've just been trying to work on this. Do you have anything that's helped you? Or do you have anything I can be doing to help in that area? You know, that, that is like a humble response. That tells the person that you're willing to listen, you're willing to change, and you're willing to take action on what they're sharing with you. So as we go through life, just through this process over and over again, uh, we gradually will bring our thoughts and our ways more in line with God's, which really that, that's a huge goal in our life is becoming more like Christ. Right? That's one of our main purposes as Christians. And so the long-term result of this is just relationships that are really healthy, they're helpful, we, we're growing spiritually, and our life honors God. So I, I want to end just by reading some passages from Ephesians 4. Uh, it's the Apostle Paul writing to a church in the city of Ephesus and is giving them direction for how to live as a community of believers. So his direction, his encouragement to them applies to us as a community of people as well. So I'm just going to read some of these. Uh, this is from Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, we are all members of one body. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This putting off of our old self, putting on the new self, living in unity and peace with each other, is only possible through Jesus Christ. And it's by believing in him making him our Lord and Savior, that's how we're made new. That's how we're able to help each other grow in maturity. And the relationships that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, those can be true of us as challenge. Like as, as we as a community of believers commit to Christ, to following him, we relate to each other with humility, gentleness, patience, and love, and we help each other grow spiritually by giving and receiving scriptural correction. Let's pray together. God, I just pray that we would be people who do sharpen each other, that we would not um, 
drag each other down, that we would not be discouraging, but that we would really help each other to follow you better. And God, I, I just pray that as we move forward, as we think about these hard attitudes uh, and change the way we relate if needed, that you would really uh, just use that, use, use us in each other's lives to help us grow into people who love you, who honor you with our life, and who are engaged in spiritual growth just through correction. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.